Welcome back to the Village Bonfire for another episode of the Wild Sacred Journey podcast. A podcast not just for your mind, but for your body and spirit too. Here we don't just talk theory. Instead, we compassionately engage with our lived experiences and a wide variety of topics together, all to invite the question, in these times we find ourselves in, how do we be more human? Thank you for being here. May these conversations awaken, inspire, repair, and evolve something deep within each of us and serve the wild, tender aliveness of our personal and collective hearts. Welcome back to another episode of the Wild Sacred Journey podcast. So as always, I'll begin with lighting our candle, our village fire. Inviting us in around it. Taking a few deep breaths in and out. Things I'm feeling really sort of like fuzzy and a little spacey for me recently. And so without needing to fix that or change that. I'm just sort of acknowledging it. And if that's true for you too, where you're listening to this, then perhaps like me, you just look for something solid around you, either with your eyes or even better through touch. Maybe it's a table or your own leg or, but probably something outside of you. And then see if you can just find this little point of quiet or of stillness. Even if everything's buzzing, maybe there's one place. As you find that stillness or that quiet, perhaps you notice that it's like you can hear a little more. Maybe your body just kind of naturally takes a deeper breath in and out. <laughs> Mine just did. So you notice your pelvis or your, your spine or your shoulders or your jaw settling a little more softly, a little bit more relaxed, a little more like rocked back slightly. So as we settle, as we drop into this place of deeper listening, then we can really hear the heart of somebody. We can really hear the soul of somebody. We can hear all the webs of possibility and truth behind the different words that they say. We can hear the land, we can hear the plants, the animals, the beyond human kin, stones, the waters, the wind, celestial bodies, any higher frequency guides or consciousnesses, the whispers of our ancestors, So you say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we arrive for today's conversation. 
So I'm super excited for today's conversation. So Kat, who's going to be joining me, and I have been kind of dancing around each other through overlapping circles and connections for what seems like it's probably been a while now. And then someone finally officially connected us and we knew we had to record a podcast episode together. So if you've been around for a while, you hear me speak about initiations, about medicine paths and stories about power, change, animistic views of the world where nature is the teacher and uh, cats into all that stuff too. So um, I'm super pumped for where our conversation is going to go. And it feels like just feeling into it, it just feels like it's going to be really grounded and loving and fiery kind of all at the same time, because I think we both we both bring our own particular flavor of that um, to the work we do and to kind of who and how we are in the world. So I'm really excited to, for the alchemy of this conversation. So welcome, Kat. Thank you so much, Kay. I'm so happy to be here. Happy to have you. So yes, yeah, so I'll read your bio. So Catherine Hargraves is the shamanic practitioner, ceremonial guide, and initiated medicine woman. She provides spiritual mentorship, apprenticeship programs, and psychedelic integration support for those on the healing path. Her first book, The Art of the Experiment, is a transformational manual for humans who want to heal but don't know where to start. For more information on her medicine practice, client work, and rites of passage, visit her website, www.wildalive.co, and I'll have that in the show notes, so, along with some other links that she's provided. So yeah, so lovely. <clears throat> Thank you. So I always like to start our conversations um, with asking, inviting you, what are some forces that shaped you that you feel called to share? Or what's like sort of any ancestries or lineages or roles or locations or places or just anything that orients you in the larger world or in the social fabric of things? Like what's what's kind of an opening gateway into who you are as a human being or a soul having a human experience? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I love that question so much and I can go so many places with it. It really opens up a lot for me. Mm. Um, where I feel called to start is that uh, my grandmothers, my ancestral grandmothers refer to me as um, the woman in the boat who meets others on the threshold. And that speaks very deeply to not only who I am, I'm a deep Pisces, I'm very oceanic. Uh, that explains and... how our connection. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I am a being of water and fire and I have a little bit of earth, which is my Taurus rising and thank God for that. Um, but yes, I am a shapeshifter. I am a... Uh, galactic being. I am from Sirius. That's one of the places I came from. And I've been on this planet since before it existed. And I love to come in on very intense timelines. And um, as a child, I remember reading about ancient Egypt and a lot of these like early myths and fairy tales and stories of creation. And even though I wasn't raised, raised religious, didn't really have like a spiritual practice at that age, I remembered feeling so deeply connected to these stories, to the fall or the rise and fall of civilizations. And that seems to be where I'm really drawn to is what makes humans humans, what makes us powerful, what makes us fallible. And um, so I'm someone that is shaped by 
a lot of cataclysmic experiences. I tend to, I was sharing this with a partner last night that I learned through contrast, through extremes. And so much of my work has really brought me into those kind of tectonic cracks of where we truly come alive in ourselves, in our purpose, in the myth-making and sense-making of why are we here? And so, you know, there's so many forces that have, sh that have shaped me um, and some that I will name that I feel profoundly connected and connected to and grateful for. So ancestrally, um, I am of, you know, as many of us are both indigenous and imperialist lineages and peoples. So much of my lineage is rooted in the, uh, in the United Kingdom, in the isles of that land, um, English, Scottish, but also I have a lot of Viking ancestry from Norway on my father's side. And I do have some Native American on my mother's side, Yojibwe. Um, and that was really rooted in Wisconsin. So in the Fond du Lac region where the fur trappers and the native people collided. And so, you know, I've been very shaped by that region. That was where I was born. And I feel deeply connected to the waters and the rock people of that land. Um, you know, some of my earliest memories were of being in the Upper Peninsula and the copper mining country where a lot of my ancestors came from and walking the Great Lakes and hearing the stones talk to me. And that was one of my first kind of primal relationships with the land itself. And since then, I have always been a creature of the wild. You know, I like telling people that I didn't really have a lot of human friends growing up. I had a lot of nature. And, you know, that has deeply shaped me and, you know, we'll go deeper into this, but as I've walked my road and become uh, so much more familiar with the beings that inhabit our planet in multiple dimensions, the more I realize how deeply woven they were into my early life, even though I didn't have names for them. Mm -hmm. And so I'll say that it is you know, when I think of my greatest teachers and allies, it is nature, it is the elemental world, it is, you know, the fae and the fairies and the leprechauns and what I call the wild ones. And um, it is these beings and consciousnesses that I feel most led by and of service to. You know, and the last thing I'll say is that I am a planetary steward, I am an earth keeper. And that is the nature and root of my work. Beautiful, what does that mean to you more? Yeah. To be a planetary keeper, to be an earth keeper, planetary steward and an earth keeper in these times. Mm. So one of the many things I am is a root worker. And as a root worker, so much of my, what draws me, what fascinates me is really the deeper um, intersections, right? Like what lives at our very core. And that is so deeply connected to the earth for me because, you know, you follow anything back, it seems, and you can come back to the earth, 
to our origin stories, um, to creation itself. And so much of the living wisdom of our planet is embedded in these beings. It is embedded in the rock beings. It is living in the trees and the waters. And we come from that. We are that, right? Like the waters in our body is the same as the waters in the river outside. And so, you know, I've always been deeply connected to nature. I've found so many homes in, in her. So as a planetary steward, you know, I, there's many ways that our mission can take form, right? And I speak of this a lot when it comes to medicine, because people tend to equate medicine with like plant medicine or like Tylenol, you know, things we put in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And for me, medicine is so much bigger than that. And earth is medicine for me. It is the greatest medicine. And so when I think about the way that my work as a planetary steward takes shape, it is really about helping people remember that, helping people reconnect to not only our ancestral lineages, but to our, like, our birthright as humans. We are not here to you know, exploit the planet. We are here to protect the planet. We are here as an ally of this great being. And to co-evolve with the planet too. Yes. I mean, because I think that's something I hear a lot of times in, in conversations where our current choices, societal choices are being critiqued, particularly as it relates to our relationship to the environment or to earth, right? It's like there's this, there's developing or there has been for a little while, at least this undertone of like, oh, humans are the scourge. And there's this like implication that if we disappeared, like the world would, it would be better for the world, right? And like, mm. And certainly, I mean, if we keep acting the way we are, then then there's a strong possibility humans will disappear, <laughs> and yeah. and the world the world I believe will still continue in some way, shape, or form. I don't think we need we as humans need to be here for that to happen. And at the same time, there's so many relationships. Like there's so many examples of when humans lived in a different relationship with plants, with animals, when they were doing stewarding when they were doing controlled, you know, indigenous first nations people in this country did controlled burns, right? They knew how to help mm -hmm. release the seeds of the plants that needed to be released through burning and how to sort of control and not control, sorry, but manage or sort of steward some of those things and to play, to use the skills and the tools that they had, opposable thumbs, you know, tech, <laughs> technological developments, you know. So that, helpful. Like, I know, so helpful, right? But like to use those in service to the larger ecological like web of life. And that when those forces were in balance and those things were, were, we were playing our part in that, then the plants profited, the animals profited, like earth actually developed better um, for us being here, you know, but it's how, the how of how we're being here that makes mm. the difference, you know? Um, yes. So I, like, I love so much of what you're saying in that. Um, 
Hmm. I really appreciate what you just brought forward, which is something I think we always forget, right? Humans get really wrapped up in our our own abilities, right? Our own skill sets, our own supremacy. And one thing my beings love to tell me is that human supremacy is obsolete. It is a fallacy. And it's, you know, I remember discovering once as I deepened in this work, it was like, we always think that we are acting on this planet on these, you know, more like lower beings. And the reality is, as you just named, is like, you can't be in relationship with anything and have it be one dimensional. Mm. So just as much as we are acting on them, they're acting on us and through us. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love thinking about this because when we talk about, you know, plant medicine and lineage and colonization and all of these things, appropriation, which is not to say they, there isn't that truth and there isn't that, you know, we need to have an awareness around that. But I like to remind people, I'm like, don't forget that these medicines, these plants, they also have an agenda. They are also working through us. And who are we to say what that actually looks like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this sort of feels like it links back to what you were saying a little bit earlier of kind of that like that idea of what you're in service to. And I remember I had a moment um, a couple of years ago where I was having just another layer of sort of egoic crumbling around like mm-hmm. my work in the world, my purpose, my like business, right? Like that's a constant process, but you know, there was something coming through where I realized it was like, what was coming through for me to, to become, to see really clearly with, as an invitation to, to shift it was how much I was viewing myself and my work in service to the wounds of the world right and the wounds of people and it was like and what was coming through me was like no 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 that's not what a wisdom keeper does a wisdom keeper is in service to the wisdom that they steward because that is the important thing to get passed down from generation to generation and particularly coming from as you said lineages of of sort of you know, as someone in a white body on Turtle Island, North America, you know, whatever we want to call it, right? Like in my most immediate identity, I am here as colonizer. And yet my ancestors were once indigenous to place. And so I, you know, I've been sort of tracking that back. What was that like? Where, you know, where did those wounds come in? Their wounding, their disconnection from their place, from their sense of indigeneity that then sort of brought them to this land where then they participated in colonization, you know, but like you said, those forces, those forces at play within us. Um, and let's see, sorry, thread there. I was like, there were a couple mm-hmm. like meeting together and then one started to pray a little. Um, but yeah, yeah. And so it's like that sense of like the, the, you know, the wisdom keepers, right? Like these wisdom traditions, many of what we are the quote unquote old ways, if we want to call them that, right? Like the old myths, the old stories, you know, the wild ones, right? 
colonization around the world, whoever's been perpetuating it and in whatever form has always been about disconnecting us from the wild ones and has always been about like taking the power that is innate to us as humans in bodies connected with the earth and transposing other forms of power within those spaces through disconnecting us from body and from earth, right? So that's like inherently what colonialism is. And so like stories, languages, cosmologies, um, ancient healing modalities, right? Like all of that has been under threat um, in any place where one group tries to colonize another. And, and so like, for me, it's like, as I, yeah, as I was like, feeling into it, it was like what was coming through is like to be a wisdom keeper means that you are holding that wisdom and you, even if what it, even if all you pass it to is like one person so that one person can help keep it moving forward generation to generation, like that's what's actually important, you know? Mm. And it's not about like the wounds that we carry, like that's just like the shit, you know, that mm -hmm. like, you know, mm -hmm. the, the mud that the lotus comes from, but like, but like, are there going to be lotus seeds in the future? And it was like, I could just see it so clearly, like, and I could feel in my bones and, and sort of like in that like web of life of just like those moments where, you know, whether it was like the witch trials in Europe, right. And like the burning of the, the midwives and the nurses that are, you know, and the hedge witches and like these herbalist practitioners and sort of these more indigenous wisdom tradition practitioners, right. Like whether it was that, or whether it was colonialism in South and Central America or here in North America and sort of the negation of the indigenous peoples here or colonialism in Africa or, you know, wherever it's been, right. Like all around the world, it's like people were persecuted for trying to maintain these traditions. And, and yeah, and it was just coming through me so clearly, like stop being in service to people's wounds and be in service to the old ways, be in service to the wisdom because that's the part that we need. Those are the seeds that we need to be sowing for the next generation to have any kind of hope. You know? <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. I think mm -hmm. I've been like about this all wrong. You know? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it was just like, and I could feel like what a difference that made in my body too, actually as, as in terms of the sustainability of imagining maintaining my practice, you know, and keeping me in integrity because it just felt like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. I mean, if I'm in service to the wounds of the world, A, nothing I do will ever feel like enough because it's, that's just such a vast, vast ocean of hurt at this point. B, it leads me to feel like some slight superiority and sort of this sense of like, I have this thing that everybody needs, but nobody knows they need it. And like, like maybe, but like also who the fuck am I to say that, you know, like, <laughs> mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm in relationships to the, to the wisdom, then it's like, what's most important for me are my personal practices of ritual, of ceremony, of integrity, of right relationship, and then sharing that in whatever way naturally and organically seems to occur with the people who find me who are interested. 
And it's like, suddenly I like feel how much more centered in my spine and my body I am. And it's not this like reaching out and this like weird, like Mm -hmm. trauma bonding kind of thing. Um, Yeah. So that was a really long thing. I don't know if that sends you anywhere. (laughs) It does. You gave me shivers. Um, What Like so much to say here. And I'll start by saying that Ritual for me is a bloodline back to the elemental ancient self that we all carry. We are all connected to. I don't care where you came from. I don't care where you are now. Like you hold that within you. That is your birthright. That is part of being human. And what my work has taught me and, you know, to give a little context, um, I work with in elemental, animistic, and West African indigenous lineage. I am initiated in it. There's no teacher certification or anything like that. Like there's no open doors. It is closed unless the beings themselves invite you into it. And as a white bodied being in a historically black indigenous lineage, it is immensely humbling. And it has actually opened the door into many of my own and like actual ancestral, right, traditions. Mm -hmm. But it has also shared a lot with me around the primacy of nature. And what I mean by that is no matter where you are planted now, you are on land, you are touching earth. You can go to the river. Yes, you might not be the original peoples that inhabited this place, but we cannot separate ourselves from that connection, from that relationship. And I am so grateful to those wisdom keepers of these ind- like indigenous um, lineages, like pathways, whatever you want to call it, right? These roads back to that original connection because they are the ones who are holding that uh, reminder of no matter where you came from, where you're going or who you are, you have the right, you have the responsibility to that relationship. And that to me is so profoundly like humanizing because it is so universal. And I will advocate for anyone's right to be in connection with the land, with the elements. It is the most human thing about us. And in, you know, so ritual for me is about that communion with these elemental intelligences. And you can speak any language, right? They're still gonna speak to you and through you. And so, you know, I refer to nature as mother teacher because it is the mother of all of us. And it is here to teach all of us that we can access those doorways at any moment. And I think to me that is profoundly just humbling. And like, I don't use the word awe-inspiring often. I reserve that for like God. Mm-hmm. But to me, nature is God. It is a form of God that we can touch, that we can see, that we can taste. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I bow to that. Mm-hmm. And it is such an immense privilege and honor to be able to 
carry that lineage to be a keeper of this lineage now because I do believe in the Western world, in the white westernized culture, that there has been an immense fracturing. And so I recognize that I am playing the role of a bridge. I am not here to replicate a West African way of being or a culture. And that is how I honor it. I listen, I have a connection to these beings as a result of this lineage. But what it teaches me is how to access what is already inside me and what has been carried forward through my own ancestry. Like they're not giving me, you know, my teacher is adamant about that. He's like, we are not here to recreate the village. But what we can learn from this lineage is what it looks like to inhabit that village in our way and to find our way back to that as a white, you know, a white person, because we need that. That's part of the healing that we absolutely must find our way back to. Yeah. I often say, you know, before we were white, our ancestors were something else, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it is like, I think a lot of times it can feel really part of what sparked a lot of my journey of ancestral reconnection was when I was feeling into like whiteness, you know, as sort of a, a, a violent and really wound based um, identity and sort of culture. And I use that term culture both in the like sort of wider societal sense, but also in the like more biological sense of like, like if culture, if what if cultures of whiteness are like the petri dish that my cells and my body are growing in, what is that actually, what's that environment like? And what kind of cells are growing out of that? And what kind, you know, mm -hmm. and like, you know, it's probably not a coincidence that in this capitalistic, late stage capitalistic model of like growth, 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 progress, 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 cancer is one of the number one like diseases, right? Like yeah. growth, 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 right? That's what cancer mm -hmm. is. It's cells that don't know how to stop growing. <laughs> and Oof. like, you know, and so when we're thinking about the culture in that sort of like petri dish sense of it, and like what environment, what blueprint that's creating for our body cells and for like how we're being shaped by that, you know? And I was looking at it and I was like, well, race is actually like a fairly new construct. And was actually inherently baked in violence. Like it was created so that white people could justify doing things. People who identified as white could justify doing things to people who were not, who were, who were more melanated. Um, you know, and there've been gradations of that, like, you know, and, and so I was like, like, is there a culture that isn't violent is there any kind of legacy in whiteness that isn't and it's like oh no not even a little bit like we're so identified unknowingly and unconsciously with this thing that like has no roots in any place it has no mythology that isn't sort of like toxic individualistic white savior capitalistic mm -hmm. like patriarchy you know like all of that like toxic patriarchy right there there can be situations where patriarchy is not mm. inherently toxic but you know it's so it's got these like 
the only narratives it has, the only myths it has, the only heroes it has are, of course, they're baked in these really problematic things because whiteness was literally created mm. to, as a force of colonialism, you know? Yeah. And so we have to untangle ourselves. Like I was realizing how much I had to like untangle myself from that. But, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, right? And so we see that on the earth all the time. Like you can't just pull weeds up and not have anything on the soil and think that the earth's going to be fine with that, right? And it's like the same with our identities. We can't just uproot one identity without having a sense of some connection to something else that feels really destabilizing and scary for our nervous systems, you know? And so that's for me when I started, yeah, like going, okay, well, who were my ancestors before they were white? And and what were their myths and what were their connections of place and what were the languages they spoke and how do those languages feel in my mouth and in my tongue and what were the songs they sang and um you know and certainly yeah i mean i'm very privileged to have access to um ancient wisdom traditions that were not necessarily of my direct family tree ancestry you know through yoga through meditation you know so a lot of those like we consider Eastern philosophies and wisdoms, you know, and then a lot of the First Nations people here in North America and, you know, or in South and Central America and the Americas, you know, and um, yeah, and having, you know, having exposure to those and having access to those helps me sort of find a way back to some of like the ones that my bones remember. And it is, it's like a hybrid because I mean, you know, I've got this upcoming trip to Ireland and Scotland and I have no like notion that I'm gonna go over there and be like, ah, yes, I'm Irish, you know? Like, no, I'm American. I was born and raised here, you know? <laughs> and these lands have shaped me and I farmed places in this country for over a decade, you know? Like worked, grew food and worked with the soil and, you know, and, and tended animals that were raised on that soil and, um, and on the things that grew from it and, and then eaten those things. And so like, you know, my body is very of this place. You know? yes. um, and yet my bones also remember like these other threads from these other places. And so, mm. yeah, I love what you're speaking to there of kind of this, like, how do we find the ins that we're invited to, not just the ones that like mentally we're like, oh, that seems cool. Or like, oh, that mm. seems flashy. Or like, oh, that seems, you know, whatever. Like it fits some idea of who I think I wanna be or who I wish I were or whatever, right? Like, but the ones we're like somehow deeply invited to and how do we, then follow those threads and kind of weave them also into this context and into sort of this like, yeah, this globalized world that we're living in where we can be from so many places and, and we can have so many threads, you know, and mm. Mm. like linking us to, to, to different places and to different traditions and to different wisdoms and to different, yeah. You know, one of the words that came up as you were speaking was like rootless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as someone who has never really felt at home in my own culture, mm. it's one of the great stories of my life where I've always been kind of like the black sheep, like outlier, you know? And for a long time, I, it was like the winds blew me around the world to many different places. 
And I remember a, a shaman once called this out. They were like, they had done a soul retrieval for me. And they were speaking to the fact that they were like, you have found a home in so many distant lands. And not because I was necessarily seeking it out. I, I probably did not have that awareness at the time. I just knew that I was like hungry for something that I couldn't find in my own home culture. And I was trying to understand what that was. And it started when I was like 14, you know, with like not even close to having a spiritual awareness that I do now. And I've reflected on that very deeply because there was this about 15 year period where I just remember being so deeply welcomed by friends' families, right? Like total strangers in other lands, but ultimately people who were of different traditions, of different ancestry, of different, um, of different cultural traditions. And every time it was like, I got folded into like this other story. And it wasn't that I took on this story, but it was through this that I was able to better understand my story. And I think the story of whiteness, which has been, you know, deeply hungering for that reconnection to a sense of place, to a sense of, you know, like, and from that, it's like the purpose. And I am so immensely grateful to all of these people who saw past the color of my skin or the, you know, injustices of my own ancestral lines to fully welcome me. And I think that is one of the like deep healings we all are working towards, right? And there's a lot of pain and crunchiness and, you know, like <laughs> problematic stuff that we're unpacking throughout that. But um, yeah, I really appreciate what you were saying about like, we are so deeply woven into threads that are not simple. We are deeply complex petri dishes of so much. And to oversimplify and to cut off that parts of those parts of ourselves, right? Um, reduces everyone. And I am someone who would much rather lean into the complexity of we are these deeply woven webs of relationship. We are not people in that sense, right? Like we are beyond this, what we might identify as a person. Mm -hmm. And we are like all of these overlapping, like ancient present layers of relationship. And as I'm speaking, I keep looking up because a spider just like dropped down as we're talking about all of these threads. <laughs> So spider. Mm -hmm. mm. So do you feel like, I feel like for me, plant medicines have been an important part in that. Do you feel like that's been part of that? Cause I know you sort of say on your website, how plant medicines really like completely reshaped how you view the world. And so yeah, oh, do you completely. Like some of this worldview. Yeah. Do you want to share any, do you feel? Yeah. Oh, I love talking about plant medicine. I love talking about plants and I'll state too that um, I want to also kind of broaden 
like there are the psychedelic entheogens, right, that we might normally refer to as plant medicines, ayahuasca, mushrooms, and I do want to speak to those. Um, but I also want to name the fact that nature is filled with plant medicines that are not psychoactive, yeah. right? Like I talk to the trees on a daily basis, and that is a form of plant medicine that is incredibly nourishing to me. Um, and I don't need to trip on it to right, have a deeply moving and mind-blowing experience. And that's something that working within my lineage has really shown me. And that actually was the root of, you know, this elemental medicine completely changing my worldview. And that's what really started to topple this idea that like, I need to have it all figured out. I'm a human. So like, I should know, and I should really be like the apex consciousness on this planet, um, which is just a lie. And it's, I think, a very, to even reckon with that mm. is a destabilization of what most of our culture is built on, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, one, one of the games I like to play and love to give to my clients, um, I was actually, this is one of the exercises we did in one of my group calls the other day was, I talked a lot about, um, as someone who in a former life I was a technologist. I built a lot of beautiful, powerful systems. And I was often, I was a strategist. So I was given, I was tasked with finding solutions to problems, putting my brain to use. And there's been many times in my life where I've put this pressure on myself to really like find the answer, figure it out, as I'm sure most of us have. And what's been really powerful for me is, um, when I came into this lineage, I started to notice that like the answer was always somewhere around me. It actually did not live inside me. Mm -hmm. And so that's a radically different paradigm of consciousness. But to me, it's the most absolute form of consciousness, which is to say, you are not the holder of the knowledge of the world. It does not live in you as a library or an archive that's static mm -hmm. and that you just you know, dive deeper into your brain to access. Mm -hmm. Consciousness is a living fabric, a web mm -hmm. that you are a small singular node in. And when I started to really, not just like understand that, but to embody that, I stopped and, you know, I still put my, I'm still deconditioning that like pressure of like, figure it out. But I started playing this game of like, okay, what if I don't know? What if that's actually the departure point for receiving and receiving from uh, like the trees, receiving from the water, receiving from the rock, receiving from an animal, receiving from my dreams? receiving from my ancestors and to in fully acknowledging that these are all relationships that feed me I become available to it's like actually plugging into the mainframe of the universe rather than just trying to store it all in a floppy disk and in that there's an incredible freedom and an incredible power that the indigenous ancient ones knew about 
and utilized all the freaking time. And so that to me is where things started to really kind of collapse in on themselves. And I was like, whoa, I need to rethink this hierarchy of knowledge. And at first it really shook me, you know, because we place so much emphasis on being right. But opening myself, yes, yes. So opening myself up to the wealth of knowledge that is literally embodied in the living, breathing world around me, the game became, where is the answer that I can't yet see? Mm -hmm. And you'll realize when you play that game, the spider's right over my head, I like it. When you play that game, that the universe, like there is some metaphor, there is some scenario, there is something happening in your external environment that is the exact mirror for your internal question. Mm-hmm. And if you are willing to open your eyes and really see it, you will be surprised at how the answer arrives for you. Yeah. So that's that's the starting point of the answer. And, yeah, I love um, that. Let's just like let that settle for a moment. I feel like, yeah, that that what is what is the answer that I'm not yet seeing? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was in one of um, some of my other conversations. We've sort of danced around, sort of that difference between oral and, and written, like what were some of the things we lost when we shifted from oral to primarily written um, knowledge, wisdom, um, you know, and for those of you not watching, I put those in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's like, you know, and, and there's benefits to both. So, you know, it's not an either or situation, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this spider just jumped on me. That's okay. <laughs> okay, keep going. We're bringing a lot of spider medicine through in this conversation. So, seriously. Gotta honor. Yeah. That's funny. Do you need to pause for a moment? Are you good? Yeah, I was just like, let me just help this little spider. I'll move to another bench. Let's let the spider have its moment. Okay. I know. We, my, my parents and I were traveling and we got back the other day and I was like one of the first into the upstairs of the house. And I think I walked through, we were gone for like a week and I think I, a little over a week, I think I walked through like three spider webs on my way to the bathroom. <laughs> it's just like, sorry, guys, I came back out to my parents. I was like, nope, get out of the house. It's the spiders now. <laughs> like, <laughs> they planned it as their own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me every day yeah. in the woods. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We're just visitors here now. <laughs> um but yeah but I mean I think and so for me it feels like that's some of what the idea of wisdom or knowledge as being an emergent immersive collaborative process is something I think we were innate more innately tapped into when we lived in more oral cultures yes and so this idea that we could somehow that knowledge is somehow this fixed thing 
that we read, we memorize, maybe we sort of internalize, maybe we sort of feel it in our bodies, but mostly it's more important that our brains get it and store it away. And then we can go into the little file cabinets in our brains and like pull them open and find it when we need it, right? Like that idea of things, I mean, there's no way that could have existed before written language because that literally wasn't how knowledge was transmitted. And yet it's like, once you write something, then it does become more fixed and it does become mm -hmm. something that you, it's like this idea that knowledge once written down is like, that's it, yeah. you know? And I mean, and obviously we don't totally believe that because we're constantly reevaluating things we thought we knew like in the scientific community. And then, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, school, you know, you learn, you're learning, we learn things very differently in schools now than we did 20 years ago, than we did 50 years ago, than we did, you know. Um, but, but yeah, but I mean, so much of what you're describing this, like, this space of recognizing that knowledge is actually a collaborative bank of experiences that is fed by every single consciousness on the planet and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. and and so it is it's more like you know and I think that's where like wayfinding tools help us tap into that a little bit more whether it's tarot or oracle cards mm -hmm. whether it's the Akashic records like whether it's you know whatever these different things are but for me that's like you spoke to ritual you know as being communion and for me like ritual is a reminder of how to listen and mm. for me like that's what ritual is is it's actually a practice of showing up and yes, communing, but then a huge piece of that being, do mm. I know how to actually listen to the answers when they come back to me, rather than kind of this just like shouting mm -hmm. my questions out there into the world and then not even knowing how to receive the answers back, you know, and ceremony, ritual, like all of that for me is about like, oh, right, this is how I learned to hear the answers to the questions I'm asking this wider bank of mm -hmm. knowledge of wisdom. Oh, you just touched on one of my favorite topics, okay. which is like, life is a divination. Mm, yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. And for those who are, who are not familiar with the term divination, divination is essentially a mediation tool, a tool to translate between tarot cards and the asker or between the spirit guides and the asker, right? So it's, it's a way that we can kind of work with a body of knowledge that we might not feel we have direct access to. But, you know, I say like archetypes are a form of divination, right? They hold this very multidimensional idea. And the more we investigate and I'll use the term archetype as like, for example, uh, the warrior is an archetype. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the more we sort of look at the warrior, it's like, oh, there's not a single meaning or static definition for that. We might have some readily available um, sort of reference points, but the warrior can have a shadow side and a light side. The warrior can be a woman or a man or something else. The warrior has, many facets. And when we start to look at that and really engage with that, it blooms. Mm. And so I think like, you know, life as a divination tool is like going back. I love that you said like immersive and embodied knowledge. Trees 
right? Or the waters, for instance. Water is healing, water is lifeblood, water is purification, water is cleansing. And we could probably go even further with that, right? But once we understand that, we can then engage with all of those meanings and utilize that tangible experience of healing or cleansing or purification or baptism or renewal through our relationship with the waters. And that to me is so powerful. It completely upends this, like, I think in the Western culture, we do a lot of knowledge hoarding, right? Where it's like, you must pay for access. There's gatekeepers. Guess what? In nature, there are no gatekeepers. And if you are simply willing to listen and observe and interact with these things that are not static at all, you might find that there is a wealth of information just ready for you, leaping out at you, but we have forgotten how to read it. Well, and I think actually there are even sort of gatekeepers, but not in the way we think of gatekeepers. I think that's what initiations are. Ooh. So I think initiations, I heard someone say that one time, I think it was Bronte Velez who said this, I think. Um, like, what are the rites of passage someone has to go through before they're allowed to have access to the wisdom I steward? And like, you know, in a capitalistic, it's like, everything's about like making it easy to access so everyone like, and making it more widely available. And it's all about like, Ma making it massively consumable so that you can up the like potential for profit right mm -hmm. and and for resource exchange <clears throat> and with this it's like no not everybody's I'm not meant to be for everybody and not everybody's yeah. meant to work with me and there are plenty of people you know I've encountered it before sometimes as I've, you know, been on this journey of working with clients, it's like you start off and yeah, you think, oh, this works so great for everybody, you know? And then it's like, you start having clients where you're like, oh, maybe this work isn't right for this person. And like, you know, maybe I need to niche a little bit more. Like maybe I need to be clearer about who this work is for, because this actually isn't working out for either of us, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and some of that is, again, if, if what we are in right relationship with, and if what we are in integrity and stewardship with is the wisdom that we each steward and we each have like a particular little flavor of that right like because I feel like I love what you were speaking to a moment ago and for me it's like I was getting this image of like yeah us as individual nodes and so it's almost like aliveness is this giant if we want to use it like a brain you know I prefer to think of it as heart but you know whatever right and it's like and we're all like questioning and poking at different aspects of it because it's through the challenge of the questions and the poking and the trial and error that hypotheses get disproven and then proven and made stronger right that's how evolution happens that's how um consciousness evolves right and so we're all just like tiny filaments like tiny synapses of like this one giant consciousness you know and we're like each with our own little part of like that consciousness that we're helping evolve, right? So we each have mm -hmm. some type of wisdom that we each steward and it's a slightly unique flavor to us, you know, based on this lifetime and past lifetimes and like all of these different, you know, whatever. And, and so like, as we're 
you know, if what we're in stewardship of is that wisdom, then it's like, oh my gosh, sorry. (laughs) This is like so many like things happening and then my brain's just like, and we're done. And I'm like, really brain? We didn't finish the sentence. Um, Let's see if I can get it back. But oh yeah, oh yeah. So it's like the stewardship to the wisdom, then yeah, then we're not in stewardship to people's wounds. And so it's not about being mass marketable, right? It's not about having massive reach. It's like, and it's the same with, you know, some people are really called to work with the divination, the Dogda divination that, you know, that Mm -hmm. you're called into, right? Into Mm -hmm. that lineage. Some people are called into lineages of crystals. Some people are called more into lineages of star nations, right? We're all called into these slightly different lineages. And through that, you know, if we are in stewardship of the wisdom and not the wounds, then it's like, Mm. yes, there are actually rites of passage that people have to go through to have access to it, you know, and the same like trees aren't going to reveal their wisdom. Like, yes, it's there if, if you know how to listen, but to like really go deeply with them, there's a rite of passage. And it may be as simple as learning to listen. you know, which is often a whole initiation that we have to go through before we even know how to listen. Right. Or it may be as simple as like showing up regularly and in devotion to it and being like, I am committed and I'm committed enough. I'm going to show up day after day after day and sit under the same tree for Mm -hmm. months, for years, for however long it takes until I really get to know this tree and the seasons and all the different animals and the whole ecosystem that's around it and the part that it plays, right? But like, that's kind of a rite of passage, you know, or or a a gate in some ways, you know? So yeah, I don't think it's like gatekeeper in the way that we often think of gatekeepers, but I still Mm -hmm. think we have to humble ourselves in some way. And we, especially for those of us who have been so indoctrinated into these Western ways of thinking about things, we have to go through some initiation or some rite of passage that like undoes that way of thinking about things so that we can Mm -hmm. begin to access that wider web of wisdom and knowledge that's like actually out there. I'm so glad you said that. Like, yes so much yes and that's really given me a lot to think about because one of the things that I I share with um you know anyone who comes to sit in ceremony with me or anyone who's like anyone right I do spiritual mentorship I do plant medicine ceremonies and one of the things that I will speak to is it often comes up when we're having like an integration circle and I've had many experiences where people have a profound insight or learning come through and they're very eager to sort of like share this and what I often remind them is like there are some things that are just between you and spirit there are some things that are not to be shared with others not because you're needing to gatekeep it but because as you're pointing to is like certain kinds of information or insights that come through are only meant for you because you have built up the capacity, the respect, and the relationship to fully receive it. And to share that information outside of that relationship could actually be dangerous to someone else because they are not ready for it. They do not have the tools, the understanding, or the respect that will ensure 
their safety and the safety of others who they then relate it to. Mm-hmm. And I say this because I, in this timeline, on this in this incarnation, I carry a lot of forms of medicine that are pretty powerful. I carry death medicine. I carry lightning medicine, and and many others, right? But those two in particular are ones that I have gone through many forms of initiation in order to actually serve in the way that is being asked. And I'm still in that process. And one of the most humbling moments of my life, um, my lightning medicine got called out with my teacher when I first sat with him, like the first divination I ever had with my teacher and my lineage before I was initiated. And he shared some things with me that were very humbling because he was like, this is a form of medicine that is extremely hard to carry. It will, and basically one of the biggest you know, pieces of information I got was like, if you are out of integrity with this medicine, the universe will let you know, you will get spanked. <laughs> and believe you me, I have gotten spanked. And it is not pretty. It basically has, um, for lack of a better word, fucked me up foobar (laughs) in order to deliver its lessons at times and so you know I was enrolling or launching a program called initiation earlier this year and literally as I was closing this program and I was sharing a lot of the knowledge and wisdom and you know sort of helping people understand why we even want to be initiated what is the importance of that what is it going to do for you because this is a concept that is very lost in our culture, right? And right around the time where I was kind of shutting the doors to this, I was out walking with my dog in the woods one day and there was a storm rolling in, but it wasn't yet raining. There wasn't even really thunder. And I thought to myself, oh, it's probably safer to go into the woods, you know? And as we were walking, a humongous bolt of lightning struck a tree about, I don't know, 20 feet away from me. And I'm talking like, not like, whoa, like literally if I had been walking any closer, I think it would have been dangerous, if not deathly for me. I'm like my, it was so immense and so powerful that I literally, uh, the sonic boom of it sent me about three feet in the air, both of us. And it happened so quickly. It was like watching a plane crash right in front of me. And I remember in that moment, just being so stunned, stunned at the power of this force that up until then had been a little bit more abstract and conceptual to me, you know, it was like, and I'd felt the lightning medicine in many ways in my life, you know, kind of moving me around, but it was this moment of sort of like, and I'm still figuring out what that meant for me. I, you know, I can't say that I have it completely tied up in a bow, but it was a reminder first and foremost of this is not a power to be held lightly. And, you know, so over and over and over again, I get checked. And, you know, as they say, there's that age old adage with immense power comes immense responsibility. And lightning has taught me that more so than any other medicine. And so I do not walk with it lightly. 
I do not carry it lightly and I do not deploy it lightly because where lightning helps me clean things very, you know, it's a, it's a medicine of discernment and of integrity. And, you know, it's called cosmic justice in my lineage. We actually don't refer to it by its real name, its traditional name, because it's that powerful. And when you think about cosmic justice, one of the things I've really had to confront is, you know, it's a great honor to be someone who can speak truth to power and who is willing to go out and point things out that need to be cleaned. But I've also seen in myself that there are times where that can become vindictive, right? The desire to almost like punish because something is so out of uh, out of alignment that it's dangerous or harmful or creates really like scary, sad impacts. And because I can see it, it creates this immense like righteousness in me of like, that is so wrong. And I'm like, but it's not for me to take on other people's healing, mm -hmm. right? So it's like the medicine goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And that has been a powerful thing to really integrate into my being is like, it's not for me to come in and clean up the whole world. That's not my burden. And while I might be able to see what's happening for someone in their healing and be able to like, oh, that person needs this and this and this. If they are not allowed to come to that realization within themselves, I have actually taken away the benefit of their healing. It's and that's a painful, hard. yeah. So painful for me to recognize that, like, oh, that's not for me to point out. Mm -hmm. So I share all that because there is power in the medicine that we hold, but you are so right in that we must learn how to hold it. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I love what you're saying there, you know, because I think too, for me, it's like, I think that was some of that shift for me of like this, the wisdom that I steward. And it's like, it's, and I think that shift from like thinking that knowledge is somehow in my brain to that like wider web of it is like, I'm, it works me before mm -hmm. it works through me to work others. Ooh. And it works yeah. and it goes back way as I'm working others, it's mm -hmm. working back on through me again. And so, you know, I think a lot of times we have this beautiful idea of like, oh, I'm going to find my purpose and I'm going to do all this healing. It's fascinating. I saw this post from this woman the other day that's like, ah, oh, my inner child's out and free finally in my life. And I'm sitting there going like, and it's just like hit me all of a sudden. I'm like, we're so fixated on inner children. And like, yes, of course we need to do a lot of tending to our inner children. But I'm like, why do, why do we think that that's somehow like, I was like, this is another way that like ageism and ableism and perpetual maidenhood is like showing up in spiritual mm. spaces, I suspect. But anyway, that's sort of a slight tangent, but it's, but it's also, it, it is like pointing to though, I feel like this sense of like, we have this idea that when we heal, we're going to feel better. And mm. when we find our purpose, everything's going to be easy. Mm -hmm. And I love what you say, I think on your website somewhere that like your purpose is this, I'm paraphrasing here, but like this emergent process, you're, you're, it's a lifelong discovery. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, yeah, it is. And whether we call it purpose, whether we call it medicine, like mm -hmm. whatever we call it, the point is like, it works us first. 
<laughs> yes. And it's actually not always easy or pleasant to be fully no. ourselves. It is satisfying in that it's like whole and intact. And there's a certain relaxation and pleasure and satisfaction that comes from that. But the act of stewarding wisdom is not easy and it is not always pleasant and it's humbling. And the only way, yeah, we can be in our purpose and in our medicine is to be willing to be constantly humbled, constantly humbled, constantly worked, constantly humbled, you know? And I love what you were saying about, yeah, the, the, you know, after plant medicine ceremonies, or I see that sometimes too in yoga, you know, many yoga teacher bios, and I'm not saying this to shame or blame or anything, but I've noticed there's a common thread that it's like, oh, I took my first yoga class. My bio said this at one point in time too. I took my first yoga class and it changed my life and I fell in love and I knew right away I was meant to share this with other people. And it's like, maybe, and maybe not, you know, where has capitalism lied to us? Where has I our internalized late stage capitalism lied to us and told us that just because something is powerful, we then need to try to own it, control it, turn it into financial reward. Mm -hmm. for us. And it's like some medicines, you know, there's a discernment practice that the longer I do this, the more I deepen into like some medicines are meant to work me and not be what I serve to the world. Yes. And then like some medicines are, you know, it's like, it's almost like we're each a cauldron and there's mm -hmm. like this alchemical process that happens as we take in the different forces that shape us and help us heal and help us become wiser and grow and evolve. And then the medicine that comes out of it is not any one of those parts. I mean, that's what you were pointing to with your mm -hmm. lineage and what your teachers were pointing you to. And my teachers were doing the same thing. You know, they were like, we're not creating carbon copies of us. Like, that's not the point of this, you know? And so it's like, we have to, the medicine, we serve the world, we have to, and that's part of that rite of passage, I think, right? We have to devote yeah. ourselves to the medicines that are working us long enough that we really embody then that mm -hmm. we've alchemized and embodied the, whatever our personal, yeah, mm -hmm. like concoction then becomes that we can then serve to the world. Yes. And it's not going to be like, ah, yes, I took this one ayahuasca ceremony and it was profound, like, good, that's amazing, you know, and maybe you are called to serve plant medicines. And also maybe you sit with it for a while and let it work you. <laughs> and maybe it shows you that your path is actually this other thing, you know, mm -hmm. because if you work with the plant as a consciousness, she teaches you you know, and yeah. mine's showing me so much more about movement and drumming and storytelling. And she comes through me when I do those things. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be serving brew to people, mm -hmm. you know? So, and I think, yeah, there's like, so there's this distinction that I, and this discernment that I feel like the longer we do this, the more we can feel into, and it's a process, you know, and when we come into it first, like, yeah, we kind of are bulls in China shops, like mm -hmm. that's just part of the process. I've been there. I have had plenty of those moments, you know, where I look back and I'm like, ah, no better do better. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no. um, yeah. Amen. I, I love that you're talking about this because I see it all the time in the awakening process, right? Like I work with a lot of people that are going through spiritual emergence or spiritual emergencies. 
Mm -hmm. right? Which means I like I like I liken it to that moment. We've all had like the Pillsbury um like dough, you know, where you start unrolling it and it pops out and you can't yeah. put it back. <laughs> like, that's you are here. That's a great analogy. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but like what I noticed happening is we pop and all of a sudden we're like, oh, this is the thing. This is the thing that popped me. It's so powerful. I feel deeply connected to it right like and then I have people who sit with ayahuasca five times and they're like I'm ready to pour and I'm like no you are not mm. sit down and I say this because not to dampen their excitement or to diminish the connection they do have to something but as you said like oh god I, I felt that so deeply like the medicine will work you and if you are running ahead of that to keep yourself at a distance from your own humbling, from your own confronting your lessons, your ego, you are a dangerous person to sit with. And I have very limited tolerance. I, I, have, I have zero tolerance. It's that. that lightning coming through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because uh -huh. to me, if one of the things I espouse and that I live by, because it is the sword that I will fall on, is if you have not taken your own medicine many times, right? If you have not done the work, confronted your shit, owned your shadows, humbled yourself, crawled through the freaking dirt, you have not earned the, you have not earned my attention. You have not earned my time and you are not ready to do healing for anyone else. And there's no shame in that, right? There's actually a great teaching in that. And you are worthy of that teaching. Go get it, right? Because at the end of the day, like something I've realized is when we invite a teacher into our life, we are inviting them to have deep influence over us. And if your wisdom is still emerging from a place of ego, which is a distortion to an extent, it's not clean yet. It's not to say you will be egoless ever, but if you are not aware of the like the, the mechanics of your own distortion, right? Of your own um, shadow, you will pass that on and it will replicate itself in the people that sit with you and that learn from you, which is extremely dangerous. And if you are actually committed to being a teacher, a facilitator, a medicine person, then you will recognize that it is, it behooves you and it is on you. It is your responsibility to take that extremely seriously. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel that our world, you know, as you said, we live in late stage capitalism, which is just like, how do I monetize my trauma? <laughs> how do I monetize anything? Mm -hmm. And so that is something where it's like, I sit with people that take their medicine. I sit with people that are completely transparent about their own shortcomings, their own weaknesses, as well as their strengths and their power and their gifts. My teachers, I am blessed to say, are extremely humble people. And I have come to them at times from my ego to be like, okay, how do I do this ceremony? And they're like, no, I'm not going to give you that information. You have not earned that information yet. And 
you know, they say that with love. They say that with so much care and compassion for where I'm coming from. Yeah. And what a blessing to take that medicine. Because, you know, I've been doing transformational work for about 10 years now not all in the medicine space. I cut my teeth, you know, working with companies and, you know, doing team trainings and Mm -hmm. coaching work. And that gave me a basis for understanding the power that I do hold and how to really hold that power with great responsibility and respect. Because power is an incredible force, but it will work you, as you said, before it works other people. And um, if you're in a space where it's still working you and you're caught off guard by that, mm-hmm. that's, um, that's a much deeper humbling than <laughs> taking your medicine first. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Thank you. I feel like there's so much more we could say on that. And I'm aware of our time. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was like, <laughs> I, know. I could talk about that forever. <laughs> talk forever. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, yeah. And there were definitely some other threads that I was kind of like, Ooh, like I sort of didn't at the time, it didn't feel like the most important one to follow. And I was like, maybe it'll come back around again. And I just, I think we're going to, I think we're going to wrap that. I think that's mm-hmm. a beautiful place to just kind of wrap for, for today. Same. Um, but I want to invite you a, if there's any last kind of closing thoughts or anything you want to kind of close with, um, and then B, um, and it doesn't have to be in this order, but, um, share, you know, we'll have your links in the show notes, but if there's anything you want to share about the work that you're doing in the world or how and where people can find you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that invitation. Oh, I would say that's a perfect, you know, bridge to, if people find resonance with this work, if people are experiencing spiritual emergence, you know, the spiritual path is one of the most rewarding. And it's also, the more you walk on it, the more uh, the more intense the work gets. Like it doesn't get easier. <laughs> it gets, you take on more responsibility. And, um, and I, but also again, that's the place that I have found to be the most expansive is not how do I get to do more, but how do I take more responsibility for the work I do have? And our culture doesn't also talk a lot about that, but it's something that I think well, that's is extreme. Yes. Actually, how do I, because the child is the one who wants to run from responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's the one who's like, how do I take on more in ways that liberate rather than chain me? And yes. Yeah. So if that's you, if that calls you in any way, um, I think that we are in a moment of needing to cook our children, our maidens, that they become the mothers and elders of this planet and the fathers. And um, I'm here as a resource and an ally for people who are on that path because it's time. And that's the last thing I'll share is that in my medicine work, the thing that keeps coming up again and again, which means that it's not just an individual message, it's a collective, is that it is time. It is time to step into your responsibility with whatever you came here to do. And it is on you to really look at the full depth of what that means for your work and for your life. 
So I really think it's a powerful moment to step in and do what we came here to do, but we're not supposed to do it alone. No one does anything alone. Yeah, we need mirrors, especially in those initial stages where we're learning how to how to see our shadows, to see the parts of us that we've been running from and working, put in all types of adaptive behaviors to avoid seeing, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So thank you. This has been an absolutely lovely conversation, Kate. I've enjoyed it so thoroughly. Me as well. Like, I just feel like, whoo, I just dropped right in. <laughs> yes. Also, when you mentioned you were uh, Syrian, you know, I'm like, oh, well, here we are, like, a couple days after the Lionsgate portal, and um, which is a, a powerful time for Syrians. So, uh, yeah, yeah, exciting. Here we are in person, baby. Yeah. Woo -woo. Um, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to close out with? You feel called to mm. for today at least. I think just what comes up right now is let yourself be moved into place. Mm. Mm. Yeah. We're all like let go of the need to know it and let yourself be shown it. Yeah, there's nothing like travel to like kick that lesson home. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> something I've been sitting with recently. And on another trip, it's funny, this came up for me in my head earlier when you were talking about, oh, I think the, the wider web of wisdom and how we think like knowledge is supposed to be in our brain and we access it by going into our brain. And, you know, and it's like something that came up for me one time on a trip is like there is no right or wrong answer the same way there's no right or wrong path there's like the choice that you make and then the path that unfolds and then the responses to that choice and then the choices you make from there you know and and we have this idea I mean I find myself reaching for it all the time you know like tarot cards give me a yes no and like I know that's not how they work you know pendulum give me a yes no I know that's not how that works you know um yeah anyway so I love that let yourself be moved into place mm. Mm. beautiful well thank you so so much Kat <laughs> the pleasure is all mine mm. thank you yeah so I'll invite everybody listening to just kind of, yeah, take a few deep breaths in and out and just, um, just let this conversation settle past your brain, <laughs> down into your body, into your heart, into your bones, into your muscles, your connective tissue, your subtle body, trusting that even if it's just one or two pieces that you consciously remember that that's okay, the rest of it's in there somewhere, you can always come back again. And in the meantime, that one or two pieces may be just enough right now. Those may be the next steps in letting yourself be moved into place. So with deep gratitude, we thank the fire, we thank the land, we thank all our beyond human kin who are here with us today in this conversation. Our spider, <laughs> the lightning, <laughs> the waters, the plants. 
We'll say thank you, thank you, thank you. And until next time. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>Hi, Kate here again. Thank you for gathering with us. Whether you've been here a while or found your way here thanks to today's guest, it means so much to me and the world I dream of to have you here. I hope you'll tune in for more of our conversations. We humans seem to be at a profound threshold and facing questions of deep impact for the future and the world. We need our full hearts and humanity as we sow seeds of change in these times of joy and heartbreak. I count myself lucky to be here now, around this virtual village fire, weaving our stories into a medicine with humans like you. As a community medicine space, this podcast is relational. It weaves webs of connection and mutual respect and care across time and space. If you appreciate and support the future we're seeding here, you can support the weaving of this web in a few ways. One, share episodes with friends and family or online with your community. It also helps the podcast immensely if you like, rate, subscribe to, or follow the podcast where you watch or listen, so you get notified when new episodes drop and new listeners find us as they search. Two, join us on Patreon. Doing so supports conversations like the one you just heard and allows you access to live community gatherings and medicine circles and more as we continue to grow. It also helps me keep the space advertisement-free so the conversations stay intact as they are. If you have questions, suggestions, connections, or would like to find out more about working with me, you can find me online at www.wildsacredjourney.com, on Instagram at wildsacredjourney underscore KP, or email me, kate at wildsacredjourney.com. Until next time, from my heart to yours, I release today's fire with a prayer for our individual and collective wholeness, connection, and joy. May it be so.